European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 43, Issue 38 Focus Issue, Hypertension By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea Read to you by Morgan Bryan Update on a Silent Killer Arterial Hypertension This Focus Issue on Hypertension contains the 2022 ESC-ERS guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of pulmonary hypertension, developed by the Task Force for the Diagnosis and Treatment of Pulmonary Hypertension of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, and the European Respiratory Society, or ERS, endorsed by the International Society for Heart and Lung Transplantation, or ISHLT, and the European Reference Network on Rare Respiratory Diseases, or ERN, Lung. The authors note that pulmonary hypertension, or PH, is a pathophysiological disorder that may involve multiple clinical conditions and may be associated with a variety of cardiovascular and respiratory diseases. The complexity of managing PH requires a multifaceted, holistic and multidisciplinary approach with active involvement of patients with PH in partnership with clinicians. Streamlining the care of patients with PH in daily clinical practice is a challenging but essential requirement for effectively managing PH. In recent years, substantial progress has been made in detecting and managing PH, and new evidence has been timelessly integrated in this fourth edition of the ESC-ERS guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of PH. Reflecting the multidisciplinary input into managing patients with PH and interpreting new evidence, the task force included cardiologists and pneumologists, a thoracic surgeon, methodologists and patients. These comprehensive clinical practice guidelines cover the whole spectrum of PH, with an emphasis on diagnosing and treating pulmonary arterial hypertension, or PAH, and chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. Improvement of lifestyle plays a key role in cardiovascular prevention, but it's difficult to achieve it. In a clinical research article entitled Effects of a Comprehensive Lifestyle Intervention on Cardiovascular Health, the TANSNIP pays a trial. Ines García Luna and colleagues from the Centro Nacional de Investigaciones Cardiovasculares, CNIC, in Madrid, Spain, investigate the effectiveness of a three-year worksite lifestyle intervention on cardiovascular metrics and study whether outcomes are influenced by baseline subclinical atherosclerosis, or SA, by non-invasive imaging. A randomised control trial was performed to compare a lifestyle intervention with standard of care in asymptomatic middle-aged subjects stratified by SA. The intervention consisted of nine motivational interviews during the first year, followed up by three further sessions between year one and three. The primary outcome was the change in a pre-specified adaption of the Fuster-Biwot score, blood pressure, exercise, weight, alimentation and tobacco between baseline and follow-up years 1 to 3. A total of 1,020 participants, mean age 50 plus or minus 4 years, were enrolled, of whom 510 were randomly assigned to the intervention and 510 to the control group. 
The baseline adapted Fuster BWOD score was 16.2 plus or minus 3.7 points in the intervention group and 16.5 plus or minus 3.5 points in the control group. At year one, the score improved significantly in intervention participants compared with controls, estimated 0.83 points. However, intervention effectiveness decreased to non-significant levels at year three, 0.24 points. Over the three-year period, the intervention was effective in participants having lower baseline SA, 0.61 points, but not in those with higher baseline SA, 0.19. The authors conclude that in middle-aged asymptomatic adults, a lifestyle intervention is associated with a significant improvement in cardiovascular health and behavioural metrics. The effect attenuates after one year as the intensity of the intervention is reduced. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Christian Torp Pedersen, Katerina Kold Sorensen, and Charlotte Andersen from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. The authors note that overall, the study shows that motivating decently active people to improve exercise, reduce inactivity, and improve diet is challenging. The motivating program in the current study was thorough, which further emphasizes the challenges. The study shows that we need research that focuses on the barriers to improving lifestyle. The result further shows that we should be open to entirely new studies on improving lifestyle by not only motivating the individual, but also focusing on more structural changes, including workplace interventions, food commercials, food placement in supermarkets, the built environment and other initiatives that intervene in a society where a healthy lifestyle is challenged. Finally, we are reminded that diagnostic procedures that can reveal diseases should only be encouraged when potentially worrisome results can be balanced with a benefit of intervention. There is a growing interest in the management of cardiovascular disease during pregnancy. Hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, or HDP, occur in 10% of pregnancies in the general population, preeclampsia specifically in 3 to 5%. Hypertensive disorders of pregnancy may have a high prevalence in and be poorly tolerated by women with heart disease. In a clinical research article entitled Hypertensive Disorders of Pregnant Women with Heart Disease, the ESC-EORP-ROPAC Registry. Arish Maramlakan and colleagues from the University Medical Center Rotterdam in the Netherlands indicate that the prevalence and outcomes of HDP, chronic hypertension, gestational hypertension, and preeclampsia, were assessed in the ESC-EORP-ROPAC, N equaling 5,739, a worldwide prospective registry of pregnancies in women with heart disease. The overall prevalence of HDP was 10.3%, made up of chronic hypertension 5.9%, gestational hypertension 1.4%, and preeclampsia 3%, with significant differences between the types of underlying heart disease, P being less than 0.05. Preeclampsia rates were highest in women with PAH, 11.1%, cardiomyopathy, or CMP, 7.1%, and ischemic heart disease, or IHD, 6.3%. Maternal mortality was 1.4% and 0.6% in women with versus without HDP, 
P equaling 0.04, and even 3.5% in those with preeclampsia. All preeclampsia-related deaths were postpartum, and 50% were due to heart failure. The latter occurred in 18.5% versus 10.6% of women with versus without HDP, P being less than 0.001, and in 29.1% of those with preeclampsia. Perinatal mortality was 3.1% versus 1.7% in women with versus without HDP, P equaling 0.019, and 4.7% in those with preeclampsia. Ramlakan et al. conclude that HDP and preeclampsia rates were higher in women with CMP, IHD, and PAH than in the general population. Adverse outcomes were increased in women with HDP, and maternal mortality was strikingly high in women with preeclampsia. The combination of HDP and heart disease should prompt close surveillance in a multidisciplinary context, and the diagnosis of preeclampsia requires hospital admission and continued monitoring during the postpartum period. This contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Matthew Caldwell from St George's Hospital in London, United Kingdom. Caldwell concludes that there have yet to be any such trials conducted in women with heart disease and, given that heart disease in pregnancy continues to contribute to significant maternal morbidity and mortality, considering this study, there should be a call to drive more research into this area. Further work in this field surely must be undertaken immediately. Diagnostic criteria for ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, or ABPM, in patients with suspected reflex syncope are lacking. In a clinical research article entitled Association between hypotension during 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and reflex syncope, the SYN-ABPM1 study, Giulia Rovasi and colleagues from the University of Florence and the Azienda Ospedaleria Universitaria Careggi in Florence, Italy, note that their study hypothesis was that patients with reflex syncope have a higher prevalence of systolic blood pressure, or SBP, drops on ABPM. ABPM data from reflex syncope patients and controls, matched by average 24-hour SBP, age, sex and hypertension, were compared. Patients with constitutional hypotension, orthostatic hypotension and predominant cardio inhibition during carotid sinus massage or prolonged electrocardiogram monitoring, or competing causes of syncope were excluded. Daytime and nighttime SBP drops, less than 110, 190 and 80 millimeters of mercury, were assessed. Findings were validated in an independent sample. In the derivation sample, daytime SBP drops were significantly more common in 158 syncope patients than in 329 controls. One or more daytime drops less than 90 millimeters of mercury achieved 91% specificity and 32% sensitivity, odds ratio 4.6, p being less than 0.001. Two or more daytime drops less than 100 millimeters of mercury achieved 84% specificity and 40% sensitivity, OR 3.5, p equaling 0.001. 
Results were confirmed in the validation sample of 164 syncope patients and 164 controls. One or more daytime SBP drop less than 90 millimeters of mercury achieved 94% specificity and 29% sensitivity. OR 6.2, P being less than 0.001, and two or more daytime SBP drops less than 100 millimeters of mercury achieved 83% specificity and 35% sensitivity. OR 2.6, P being less than 0.001. The authors conclude that SBP drops during ABPM are more common in reflex syncopate patients than in controls. Cutoff values that may be applied in clinical practice are defined. This study expands the current indications for ABPM patients with reflex syncope. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Fabian Lees and Alessandra Fanciulli from the Medical University of Innsbruck in Austria. They conclude that it was recently shown that hypertensive mechanisms not only underlie vasodepressive and mixed types of reflex syncope, but also play a role in the pathophysiology of cardioinhibitory reflex syncope, suggesting that ABPM may provide additional therapeutic information also in this setting, particularly in the case of syncope reoccurrence after pacemaker implantation. Further studies should incorporate information on daily activities by means of semi-structured ABPM protocols to link hypertensive episodes with their potential triggers ultimately boosting the diagnostic yield of ABPM in people with reflex syncope. In a clinical research article entitled Aldosterone in Chronic Kidney Disease and Renal Outcomes, Ashish Verma and colleagues from the Boston University School of Medicine and Boston Medical Center in the United States point out that randomized control trials have demonstrated the efficacy of mineralocorticoid receptor, or MR, antagonism in delaying chronic kidney disease, or CKD, progression in diabetes. However, they did not investigate the role of aldosterone. The association between serum aldosterone concentration and kidney disease progression was investigated among 3,680 participants in the chronic renal insufficiency cohort. The primary outcome was CKD progression defined as the composite of 50% decline in estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, or end-stage kidney disease, whichever occurred first. The associations between serum aldosterone and kidney disease outcomes were assessed using Cox proportional hazard models. At baseline, higher aldosterone concentrations were associated with a lower EGFR, lower serum potassium, greater urinary potassium, and protein excretion. Over a median follow-up of 9.6 years, 1,412 participants developed CKD progression. In adjusted models, each doubling of serum aldosterone was associated with an 11% increased risk of CKD progression, hazard ratio, or HR, 1.11. Individuals with the highest quartile of serum aldosterone had a 45% increased risk of CKD progression, HR 1.45, compared with the lowest quartile. The risk for CKD progression was similar regardless of whether patients had concomitant diabetes, P interaction equaling 0.10. 
The authors conclude that higher serum aldosterone levels among individuals with CKD are independently associated with an increased risk for kidney disease progression, irrespective of concomitant diabetes. These findings provide mechanistic support for MR antagonists in delaying CKD progression and suggest that they may also have a role in those without diabetes. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by George Bacris from the University of Chicago Medicine in Chicago, Illinois, USA and Frederick Yese from the Sorbonne Université in Paris, France. The authors conclude that taken together, the globality of evidence suggests that aldosterone levels need to be assessed in all patients at risk for and or in the presence of cardiorenal disease, especially if they have central obesity and or resistant hypertension. We now have relatively safe and better tolerated agents than traditional steroidal agents, which can and should be used to reduce cardiorenal risk in these groups of patients. Arterial hypertension remains the most frequent cardiovascular or CV risk factor and is responsible for a huge global burden of disease. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Phenotyping the Hypertensive Heart, Mariana Tadic and colleagues from the Universitas Clinicum Ulm note that echocardiography is the first-line imaging method for the evaluation of cardiac damage in hypertensive patients and novel techniques such as 2D and D-speckle tracking and myocardial work provide insight into subclinical left ventricular or LV impairment, which would not be possible to detect with conventional echocardiography. The structural, functional and mechanical cardiac remodeling that are detected with imaging are intermediate stages in the genesis of CV events and the initiation or intensification of antihypertensive therapy in response to these findings may prevent or delay progressive remodeling and CV events. However, LV remodeling, especially LV hypertrophy, is not specific to hypertensive heart disease, or HHD, and there are circumstances when other causes of hypertrophy, such as athlete heart aortic stenosis or different cardiomyopathies, need exclusion. Tissue characterization obtained by LV strain, cardiac magnetic resonance or computed tomography might significantly help in the distinction of different LV phenotypes, as well as being sensitive to subclinical disease. Selective use of multimodality imaging may therefore improve the detection of HHD and guide treatment to avoid disease progression. The current review summarises the advanced imaging tests that provide morphological and functional data about the hypertensive cardiac injury. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a contribution entitled, Targeted Proteomics Improves Cardiovascular Risk Prediction in Secondary Prevention, The Impact of Statin Treatment, Philippe Chiral from the Sorbonne Université UMRS 1166 in Paris, France, comments on the recent publication Targeted Proteomics Improves Cardiovascular Risk Prediction in Secondary Prevention by Nick Nurmohamed from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Nurmohamed et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal 
will find the interest of its listeners.